Hello there, weary traveler. Welcome to the inn. Sit, sit, rest your feet. Why, it's a long journey on the road to Tavalon. Have a cup of tea, or maybe a frothy ale. The light, why, you're just in time for the entertainment. Here are your hosts, Tracy and Amber. The great game? What game? It isn't a game at all, Rand, Loyal said from his bed. He had pulled a book from his pocket, but it lay unopened on his chest. I don't know much about it. Ogier don't do such things, but I have heard of it. The nobles and the noble houses maneuver for advantage. They do things that they think will help them, or hurt an enemy, or both. Usually it's done in secrecy, or if not, they try to make it seem as if they're doing something other than what they are. Chapter 21, The Great Hunt. Hello and welcome back. I'm here with my friend Tracy. I'm here with my friend Amber. And this is The Road to Tarvalin, a Wheel of Time podcast. We are back to The Great Hunt, going through chapters 21 through 24, and... We have left the portal stones. We have moved to the north of Kyrian. We have seen the White Tower. The world is expanding. And we open back with chapter 21. And Ran is with Celine and Loyal and Curin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we open at the Nine Rings Inn. And... We have Rand and company in the common room of the inn. There are soldiers dicing, and they meet the innkeeper, Maglin Madwin, and she introduces herself and assumes they are hunters for the Horn of Valir, which everyone almost needs to change their underwear after this is said. (laughs) Sorry, when Rand was like, we are not hunters for the horn. I just, I laughed so hard because what an I said I answer. He's right. They're not. They don't need to. They're exactly. holding it right. right then. They're not hunting for the horn because they've already got it. Nope. Uh, they are eating their food and it is strange and sweet and spicy and loyal asks for seconds and mistress madwin assumes that huron is a flute player because he carries a flute mm-hmm. but Rand corrects her and shocks her by playing it himself a lord playing the flute mm-hmm. this is very improper it's in unusual Pyrian. yeah it's highly unusual I have to imagine what these Kyrianan soldiers and what the innkeeper are thinking of this very unconventional group. We've got mm-hmm. Rand dressed as a lord with yep. borderlanders in tow, an Ogier, yep. and the Lady Celine, which is just this very strange <laughs> posse. And then here comes Rand getting very excited to play the flute for everyone. So, yeah. And like he lets Huron just talk. Because he has, like, he doesn't see Huron as a manservant. So, like, the the innkeeper is like, I should have known you'd let your manservant talk freely, you being a weird lord and all. It's just, Mm -hmm. she is observant, though. That woman is astute as fuck. I really like her. I wish she wasn't just a one. I think it's just being in Kyrian. 
so this is it's not it's not so much her being more astute than the others but she's an Mm -hmm. outlander she's not from originally from Kyrian so Mm -hmm. I think maybe she's not as adept as the others where she kind of just comes out and says it where the others play the game a little bit Mm -hmm. more possibly yeah Okay. But the soldiers are singing and Loyal's tapping his big sausage fingers to the beat. And Rand is happy to be able to practice the flute. And he keeps thinking to himself that hopefully one day he can leave all this behind and he'll have to play the flute for his supper once again. And all of this will be in the past. I love that that's a fond wish for him. Oh, to be on the road and playing the flute for my supper. It is. Yeah. Okay. So another little side note here is that I just really enjoy that one of these running themes that go throughout the books is no matter which city you go, if you play a tune, the song will usually have different words depending on what city you're in. And I just think it's really cute. If the TV show does this, I would love it. So. Oh, yeah, that would be cool. So the Kyrian and captain of the soldiers comes to Rand's table, and his name is Aldrin Caldewin, and he joins Rand's party and asks some questions. And he doesn't outright ask these questions. He kind of hints at other questions, hoping to find different meanings. So he asks if he may hear Rand's name. He doesn't ask Rand, what's your name? He says, may mm-hmm. I hear your name? Mm-hmm. So Rand tells him. And then he asks, may I call you a lord? He wants to know if Rand's a lord or not. Mm-hmm. He also asks Rand, who is this captain general of the Andorran Queensguard? Because he sees Rand's sword and he's thinking, oh, well, this young man with a heron-marked sword says he's from Andor. Let's see if he actually is from Andor and knows who the lord of the Queensguard is. The lord of the Queensguard? Mm-hmm. The captain General, of the Queen's Captain, Captain. So Rand is, it's Gareth Brynn, duh. And so he gets, <laughs> you know, that answer right. And then mm-hmm. this Ding. man, yeah, Sorry. captain of the Kyrian and soldiers, Captain Aldrin, called of when wants to know Celine's name. But before she can answer the question, a serving girl drops a lamp and there's a big kerfluffle and the innkeeper is kind of chastising her and Celine just kind of gets up and goes to her room so she doesn't have to answer this I've had enough of this nonsense mm-hmm. I leave now so Rand asks about the statue with the crystal and he learns that it's actually from the age of legends and that Caldwin's men are excavating it for Galdrian the king mm-hmm. of Kyrian to take mm-hmm. it to the capital and he wants to do this as a show of good fortune for the people so, Caldwin, he doesn't really offer to accompany Rand in his party. He kind yeah. of offers, but it's not really a question. Right. So, Rand is kind of like, okay, well, we do have, you know, this pack of shadow pals hunting us, so a couple extra soldiers wouldn't hurt. Right. And so, Rand gets these 50 soldiers, and we go up to their bedroom later after all of this is happening and we learn from Huron and Loyal about Deste Mar, the great game. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. this is what this captain 
Caldwin has been getting at. He's kind of trying to find this information and peel back the many layers of everything that he can kind of like pull out of Rand without drawing attention to his questions. So Mm -hmm. everything seems very like innocuous and not too pushy, I guess. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But he's really digging for information is what it comes Mm -hmm. down to. He's slick. Yes, very. And the next morning, Celine is already gone. She's left a note for Rand saying goodbye. Rand leaves with his party and his 50 soldiers, and they head forward to Kyrian. Bye, Celine. (laughs) I like how that caught the captain off guard. And he's almost like, but my men! So, like, he gives away the fact that Rand and his party have been under surveillance from Caldevoin and his men as well. It feels like it goes appropriately with the whole Desdemar lesson. Like, don't trust people and expect them to be digging for information on you that they may be able to use against you in the future kind of thing. Right. Well, this is, I mean, this is the beginning of it all. And it's why I really love this chapter, because it's it's here now. Like, we've mm-hmm. finally entered the part in the books that I feel is even better than the Aes Sedai politicking. Yeah. But there are some very interesting people that we are going to meet going forward. We just got the king's name. So this is the first mm. mention of the king of Kyrian, which true. is very cool. And I'm very excited about this. Mm-hmm. I like how Celine just kind of leaves. So mm-hmm. she says she's from Kyrian. But she's ha- she's over this. She's yeah. not interested in all of this digging around for answers, playing these games. I can just see her yawning in the corner and being like, oh, yeah, this is boring. Yeah. Okay, like, I-, yeah. I see what you're doing here. Good night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Rand being kind of the naive young man that he is, is like, oh, I'm just going to play a tune on this flute, which makes everyone think, like, what the hell is going on with this kid? Why is this weird lord with red hair, this tall guy with an ogier, playing the flute in an inn that's not, like, a very nice inn? It's not in a major city. So what Mm -hmm. are these people doing? They're not heroes for the horn, supposedly. They're Mm -hmm. just traveling along what do they want why are they here it could make anyone curious it seems very suspicious when you look at it for face value which Mm -hmm. all of these people are they're like okay there's something going on with this guy should we be worried what should we do about this and Caldewin's thinking I think is okay we'll offer 50 of my men like as protection like to help Mm -hmm. them on their travels but really, he's probably just making sure that they aren't here to cause any problems. So mm. now he has an army to survey Rand and his company. So mm-hmm. And escort them along their way. Make sure that they actually leave kind of thing. Right? Yeah, I think if Rand would have denied their company, they would have assumed that he's lying and that he's staying and he might be up to no good. But the fact that Rand was like, oh, yeah, sure, I think that just perplexed him even more. So he's thinking like, okay, well, maybe he really is going to the capital, but why? Like, mm-hmm. what's what's their game? 
Mm -hmm. the, the Dust Day Mar, the great game of houses. It's just so fun. And I'm so excited about some of the characters that we're going to meet coming up shortly. So this is where I feel like the great hunt like kicks off. I agree with you. For me, this is a this is a good build. You know, I feel I feel like this is just one of those things Jordan does well. It's like one nice solid step built to the next one and this is one of those really nice solid steps. Uh so chapter 22 is Watchers. Moraine is basically hanging out in my dream space. It's a room full of books, almost more books than a room and I love that idea. She's come to this remote place that she's certain few if any people in the tower even remember exist. I love this chapter. It's I love so... the sisters who are sisters, Adelius and and Van Dean. They are just so cool. I love them. Okay, sorry. No, these are women after my own heart. Like, they want to write a history of the breaking of the world or a history of the world since the breaking of the world. I would do that. I would be like, I will just hang out with you and do research or organize things, but please just let me be a part of this. Their eagerness to talk about their knowledge is just like, <sighs> I love them. So fangirl moment of Van, De Van Deen and Adelaus aside, Moraine's actually in this room with Lan. They have it to themselves. And Moraine begins this conversation with Lan where she's basically intentionally poking at him, trying to get him to be off guard and she starts the discussion with what has before this moment been a very taboo topic how did they first meet and what happened and really i'm not going to get into it you should just go read new spring there's a pond involved and a lot of cold and a lot of shivering but in the end moraine has bonded land and they have been together ever since so through a series of kind of quick jabs in the conversation she gets to a point where she tells him if anything happens to me your bond is to be passed along to another Aes Sedai you will be compelled to find her and Lan is understandably pissed I think this is pretty shady I love Moraine but girl that was messed up i agree i think she reasons it in her own way to him and there's no consent here none exactly like lan has no say in this so of course he's going to be furious like it's just shady is the right word boo um, i would go even further than that i would say that the, it's one oh, of those things that makes me look at Moraine's character and actively dislike her. So <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. This is a shitty move on her part. Even if she thinks she's doing it to save him, that should be his choice. She shouldn't be using his bond against him to make him do something he may not choose for himself otherwise. And she tries to, like frame this in a way that she's doing it for him because perhaps someday there'll be a newly raised sister who needs an experienced warder and we all know she's talking about Nynaeve. Lan knows she's talking about Nynaeve. If that's the case why not just undo the warder bond 
and let him decide for himself. That's a I really just, good I question. I hate it. I hate this. Yeah. Moraine, not I'm That not would a fan. have been that would have been a much better choice. Even to give him the choice if that was something that he wanted or not. Because she asks him, you know, does my does the bond chafe? Like even with so no, light Maureen, a leash as mine. You chafe. That's your tell. <laughs> That's how he can follow her when he needs to. So Leon's pissed. And the best way he knows how to deal with his anger is to go work forms. So he leaves and Maureen sits and thinks about this and thinks about what Nynaeve has done to Lan, how it has maybe subconsciously shifted his alliances towards the Emmons. I hate this. I hate this. Tell me why. Why? Because Maureen, it's... It's just jealousy right now. It's her mm. probably insecurity, but at the same time, Nynaeve isn't there. It's not like Lan's going to get up and just leave her. He's not going anywhere. Yeah. But she's taking all the consent away from him. And yeah, they were bonded. Like, the water bond is closer than siblings or lovers or whatever, Mm-hmm. But there still has to be consent. Like, this is just wrong. And mm-hmm. her having this jealousy moment over Nynaeve, maybe it's not jealousy. Maybe it's just her wanting to give Lan an out. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there was no consent. So there's no mm-hmm. out. So it just doesn't make any sense. And I don't like it. Yeah, Nynaeve's not even part of the conversation. She's not even there. She's not yeah. even in the same like. Yeah, Lan's already told her, like, hey, we can't be. You and me. It's not like Lan left Moraine to, like, go hang out at the White Tower and wait for Nynaeve. He Mm -mm. told Nynaeve to kick rocks, basically. So what more do you want from him, Moraine? He's proven his loyalty and that he's 100% team Moraine. And then on top of proving his loyalty, she does this to him? Like, Mm mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. That just has to, like, I'd go work sword forms, too. So anyway, Lan leaves. Moraine's hanging out. She's thinking. Van Deen comes in with tea and a couple of cups because she's expecting Lan, but he's not there. And she observes this jumble, probably not a jumble. I think if Moraine was putting out, like, research stuff, I bet it's very precisely laid out. It's how I lay out things sometimes. I get it. Anyway, Van Deen is observing all of these random, or what seems like random topics all pulled together, and she's like, you don't really even know what you're looking for, do you? And Moraine is like, maybe I should ask you a few questions. And so they get through it. And when they're done, Moraine's like, well, I feel like I kind of sort of have maybe an answer. They talk about the sea folk. They talk about the dragon reborn and Van Deen's viewpoint on it and whatnot. But it just comes down to Maureen feeling like she needs to kind of work this out on her own. So she leaves Cozy bookland and heads out to the garden and she's barely out the door before she hears gravel crunch behind her and she turns dun, she's dun, like dun. 
she's not even aware completely of the fact that this is happening because it is a Drakkar and he is crooning at her, which basically, she's done for. She's dead. It was nice knowing you, Moraine. Poor thing. You look like you have something you want to say. How much fun was Robert Jordan to imply that Moraine believes that she will die unexpectedly and that she will have to pass Lan's bonds and then he drops a jacar like in the courtyard <laughs> right so it's like ooh, like is she gonna die for real and then it's like mm, no she's not just gonna kidding die. yeah, yeah. <laughs> i i like how this particular section is phrased structured i think would be the better way to say it because there is this like quick change to she heard something and then she's under the spell of the Drakkar. And so it's just this very quick turnaround. So thankfully, two swords cross over each of her shoulders into the Drakkar's chest. And it is the warders, Lan, and is it Jaime? Jaime? The one who belongs to Van Dien. And I don't remember how it all goes, but in the Maureen's long and short of it. very lucky that she's short, that they could just like reach over her with the swords. Right? And that they're tall. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Otherwise, like, can you imagine how much of an awkward, like, sword form that would be if it went, like, an over Highly. head? Highly. <laughs> Sounds dangerous. It does. It's dramatic in the way that it comes across, though, visually in my head. Mm-hmm. The, the physicality of it, yeah. it just kind of blows my mind. So, yeah. It's a good thing she's teeny tiny and they're, like... On my, dudes. on my first read of this, I was so excited to finally see a Drakkar up close. We get the description and the teeth and it's mm-hmm. red lips and it just sounds disgusting and hideous and mm-hmm. awful. And I really, I had a moment where I was like, oh. I think she might, I think she might die here. I think this might be it. And I was excited because I thought, okay, like, I tend to like stories where there's not too much plot protection from our main characters. Yes. And I thought, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna do a thing here. We're gonna, (laughs) we're gonna uh, kill Moraine. Lan's gonna go to Nynaeve. (laughs) It's I gonna mean, be they wild. just talked about it. Yeah, that's just where my head was. About it. Yeah, I never. I, like, I always thought she was safe. Like, I guess in my head, I was like, "There's just no way Robert Jordan's writing her out right now." Like, that's I think just I was not... hoping she would die. Yeah, <laughs> like, no, not that I dislike Moraine. I just I thought like, oh, this would be interesting. Exactly. No, from like a plot point of view, it's brilliant. To, like, mm-hmm. do things like that to keep your reader off balance. It kind of sucks sometimes to lose people that you you really love unexpectedly. Yeah, definitely. In real life. Definitely. This is, I think, one of the things that the TV show that I would like to see happen and maybe have them try and do less fake-out deaths. Mm-hmm. Where, like... Mm-hmm. They're dead, but they're not dead, but everyone's okay. Yeah, kind of like mm-hmm. these, I don't want to say soap opera-y moments where yeah. it's like, oh, there's a dead body laying on the ground. No worries. They'll be healed. Like, because it happens, be 
it happens quite a bit. Oh my gosh, season eight was ridiculous, or episode eight was ridiculous. Well, like, okay, Nynaeve uh, in episode four heals everyone. That's true. I yep. mean, I knew that Lan wasn't going to die, so right. that's yeah. fine. But then in episode eight, like, Loyal's down, Uno's down, former... Potter fans hanging out, like, yeah. how's it going, Perrin? It's very possible that... I, there's there's a lot of debate, but some people believe that Agomar may or may not be alive. I, I, I'm not... I'm not sure. The spear that's in his chest, if he's got padding on underneath his chainmail. And his does, armor. Yeah. Like, I feel like he's pretty padded. And if you look at how deep the spear mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. I kind of feel like. It might be a flesh wound. Tis but a flesh wound. <laughs> yeah, I'm not quite sure. And with how many mm-hmm. times that people come back in the TV show, I'm like, mm-hmm. he could live. Yeah. I actually, when I was watching it again last night and this morning, I kind of paid extra attention to that moment to see, like... He doesn't... He just kind of looks it, annoyed. Like, Yeah, hmm. he, like, kind of looks up and is like, ah, there's a spear in me. It will be very hard to use my crossbow now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it it the first time I watched it, I thought the spear went all the way through him and like pinned mm-hmm. him to the pinned wall. Pinned him to the wall. Mm-hmm. And looking back, it's not all the way in. And mm-hmm. I, listeners, no, I, had... I encourage you to rewatch this and tell yeah. us, please. Because I had the same response when we watched it together. Like he is pinned. This is it. So, I don't know. I, I can see him coming back, and then Egwene bringing Nynaeve back was just like... Well, then, I mean... You what is... knew something like that was going to have to happen. You can't kill Nynaeve. You just can't. No one's going to buy that, whether they know the series or not. They're going to be like, no. There's just no way so that was one of those deaths that was just totally unnecessary tracy stop there was the there was the dream the dream death of moraine where she gets speared yep Mm -hmm. or knifed through the throat throat. and at that point it has just been happening so often where i'm like okay like we know she's okay like yeah keep going here what I liked about it was the shock value of it coming through her throat. Like, but I thought that was really done well that. done. Yeah, but they had just done that with Dana. Oh, that's right! So... Oh, so you're not even being inventive, guys. I didn't even put that together, and now I'm, like, so disappointed. <laughs> we need more... Creative deaths. deaths. Yeah, more... Uh, yeah, like, give us some <gasps> Mortal Kombat-style deaths. Is that a future episode? Flawless victory. Best In- deaths. Inventive deaths that the Wheel of Time. <laughs> I mean, we could go through and be like, "This is what we would have done here with this death." Queen Dr. Guillotine. So the blade always stays sharp, but they can't because it's a weapon, so they can't make it. That's true. It's against the oaths. Anyways, sorry. It's worth thinking Very... about. <laughs> it's worth thinking about. I had fun. You said something about a guillotine. My day is made. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this chapter 
watchers ends with <laughs> what feels like an overtop reaction to the fact that the only way this Drakkar could have gotten close enough to them was that he was warded. And if he was warded, it was dun, obviously dun, dun. done by the Black Aja. Mm -hmm. And really, only the Black Aja? Regardless, the reaction that happens from Van Dien and Adelaus, where they're just like, no, that can't possibly be. Like, really? Really? You're a couple hundred years old, and the idea that dark friends would have infiltrated the White Towers seems so impossible to you that you well, have to, like... they're living in their own fantasy world. Let's be honest. They don't get out much. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> Understatement. Their warder hasn't practiced forms in probably 200 years. Right, decades. It's been forever. Poor guy. Land shows Mostly up been and he's guarding. like... Yeah, out of breath, like okay, <laughs> I'll go I'll go see if I can still lift my sword. Which no, makes it even better job. when they both exclaim to embrace death. Embrace death Like he's been ready for this his whole life when in reality this could never happen. I love that part though. That's great. I love it. Embrace death. It is. It's a it's a great scene. It's quickly paced. It's ah, perfectly written. It's why I love reading these books so much. So research time is over. Land and Moraine need to split. And Moraine's like, I need parchment and paper. And then we need to get the heck out of here. And that's that. So chapter 23 is labeled The Testing. And we move to Nynaeve's point of view as she is led to the Silver Arches Terangriel in the basement of the White Tower. So she's being led by Shiryam Sadai, and Shiryam explains that she needs to strip naked and she must pass through the silver arches three times, each time facing her greatest fears. Some women never come back out. Yep. Nynaeve goes through the silver arches and she passes through archway number one where she will encounter a fear of her past. She is being chased in a maze by Agenor, one of the Forsaken. He is lewd and threatening her with something I'm going to just go ahead and call sexual assault. Her fear turns to anger and she shoots him with fire. And as they are battling it out, the arch appears and she wants desperately to finish him. But <laughs> she leaves through the archway. Road of Tarvalin, Mortal Kombat! I really okay. want you to go in and create an image from like that moment where do you know what I'm talking about? Landrin and Moraine and Crenet are all getting ready to face uh Loghain, and they're all standing there in that pose i want that to be or what do they they do this they have like... their they kind of have their hands oh, out the, almost like one? in a fight yes I want... okay <laughs> i want that animated and i want it to say like choose your player whatever. if you send me if you send me a video of it i can make a guess for sure yes yes okay okay so so Nynaeve sorry. really wants to kill this guy. 
This is a flashback to basically the end of the Eye of the World where she is being attacked by Bethamal and Agonor. Mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure why Agonor is in this one when in the Eye of the World, Bethamal is the one that assaults her. But mm. regardless, she is having this moment of do I go or do I finish the job and kill yeah. this decrepit gross leering disgusting mm-hmm. piece of shit mm-hmm. so she sees the archway and she knows that the archway will only come but once and she walks through it then she meets shiriam Sadai, and shiriam is perplexed because Nynaeve shouldn't be able to channel inside Mm-hmm. And channeling inside the Terangriol burns women out. So she's like, well, that's kind of weird, but mm-hmm. okay, go do number two now. So Nynaeve goes through archway number two, and this is a fear from her presence. So Ooh. she finds herself in Emmons Field, and everything is dilapidated and falling apart. Marinol Veer is there, and she finds Nynaeve and she's like, come on, quick, we've got to hide. Like, no one can see you. Yep. And she's asking if Egwene is okay and if she brought Egwene home. And Nynaeve is like, no, I, I, I'm sorry, I, I didn't bring her. And Marin is crying and Marin is telling her that Bran is dead and that the new wisdom is hurting people. And it comes to the light that we're pretty sure that this new wisdom even murdered Bran and Marin mm-hmm. says she still has children she can't speak out against this woman out of fear that she's gonna kill them too yep yeah and Nynaeve is resolute she is ready to deal with this wisdom and Marin is in tears begging her to help and Nynaeve will make things right she knows she can do it she will be the one to save the ones that she loves but then the arch appears and she leaves grief stricken to her core that she couldn't save the ones that she loves that that section brutal i always end up with like tears like just thinking about what Marin is going through what she's been through what she's trying to protect and how deep of a fear this has to be for Nynaeve like that she's left that's the thing that like gets me is because this is Nynaeve's subconscious. Like, this is her worst fear is not being able to help people that depend on her, not being strong enough, not being hard enough to do the thing that needs to be done. But I think in this case, her fear wasn't just this new wisdom and, you know, hurting the ones that she loved, but it was essentially her having to leave them behind. And it happens to her through archway number three. And this is the fear of her future. So she's walking along and it's all butterflies and rainbows and beautiful, you know, sunshine. And she is in Malkier with her husband, Lan, and they have children. And she is a queen. And she tries to pull away feeling that this isn't real. But Lan assures her that... His love for her is real and that this is their life together. And she wants to stay desperately. She wants to be loved. And she misses the archway. And the archway only comes but once. So we're supposed to think, "Uh uh-oh, like what happens now? Is she stuck here forever? Is this real? Is Mm -hmm. this a 
parallel world? Is this something like Teleron Riode? Is it real? Is it not? Mm -hmm. Will she Mm -hmm. be stuck here forever? But then she channels and the arches reappear. So she Mm -hmm. exits the Terangrial and the Amarlin pours water over her head and Nynaeve has passed the accepted test. The thing on the accepted part is that on that third one, when the arch disappears, everything stays the same, you know? It doesn't dissipate around her or become less solid or whatever. And so for her to like momentarily be like, I could stay here. I could I could be with Lan. Like her choice to channel and run away from him is almost Yeah, that's what I, I it's what I don't really understand about this because it seems like it seems like in Nynaeve's case, her fears are about leaving people behind. So That's true. This could just be a Nynaeve thing, but mm-hmm. I I'm not quite sure. Yeah. Oh, that's a really good point. And or not being able to see justice done when she feels an absolutely bone deep urge to make it happen, like with Agonor. Like she just gets to that point where she's like, I'm not taking any shit from you. I'm chasing you down. Yeah, she's throwing fireballs at him. She pulls down like bricks on him. Yeah, tears down the maze. Yeah, this is very reminiscent of Moraine pulling the wine spring in apart and like mm-hmm. burying Agonor under like brick. And she's like, yep. she's ready too. She's like, oh, if he moves, if he, you know, if he comes back, I'm ready. Yep. And then the archway's there and she's like, fuck, like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. I do you mind if we go into yeah. the next chapter? Go for cool. It. Okay, so this is chapter twenty-four. Old friends, new friends. Old. We all have friends. <laughs> new friends, old enemies. <laughs> <laughs> we all have friends. We all have friends. To our um, listeners, you're our friends. Oh indeed, indeed. I like that so much. So after going through this, Nynaeve is officially and accepted she's given the dress and the ring and our next chapter chapter 24 is from a queen's point of view and to her Nynaeve does not seem very happy about the fact that she isn't accepted that's she so Egwene it like, is you should be happy exactly like you <laughs> made it through this thing and yeah, Nynaeve Nynaeve's is like, like no you have no idea exactly like child and speaking of child Oh my gosh. I really just feel like this should be called like, and how a green is really an immature 16 year old girl. <sighs> Early a green is really hard for me. Sometimes it takes until like a little later in the books for me to like, I mean, anymore. When I was a kid, I was like, yay. My apologies to anyone who's 16 and doesn't think they are a kid. So a green's being showed to what will be her room. By an accepted, she has decided she doesn't like very much, which, I mean, maybe is fair. I don't know. She's used to living the high life and the nicest inn in, in Emmonsfield. In all of Emmonsfield. <laughs> thatched roof and everything. Or with a, not a, a thatched tile roof, roof. a tiled roof. Yeah. Fancy. Very fancy. fancy. <laughs> but when, is it Pedra? Is that her name? When she When she walks away... She sticks her tongue out at her. Right? 
I love it. I it's, I I want Madeline I would, Madden sticking her tongue out at some annoying girl in the tower. Give it to me. Yeah. To your I mean, Mr. I Judkins. Let Madeline. What's the what is the verb? Is there a verb be for a that? Impetuous, a little <laughs> immature. Is there a verb for sticking your tongue out? I can't think of what. I mean, other than sticking your tongue out. I feel like there should be a word for that. Should be. Come on, English language. You can do it. <laughs> oh, but can we? So after sticking her tongue out at Pedra, she goes into her new room. And it's not very big, but it's at least, you know, slightly cozy seeming. There's already another novice sitting there waiting for her. She explains that her name is Elaine and that the White Tower usually assigns a novice who's been there for a little while to guide around a new novice. And they have been paired up. And oh, by the way, I understand you're from... Emmons Field in Two Rivers and uh, how's Rand? And Aguin is like, wait, what? what? How? And then she's like, oh, you're uh, you're the daughter of Andor. Cool. Nice. <laughs> I like how she has that moment of like thinking, I thought he was lying. Yes. That yeah. Bullhead. He was right. telling the truth. He was telling the truth. Yeah, because it was one of those those moments where they were being kind of like argumentative towards. Are each we other. friends? Are we enemies? I don't know. Yeah. Yet. Yes, very much. And then he's like, "I met, I met the daughter of Andor and the Queen," and she's like, "Oh my God, Rand! If you can't tell the truth, just don't be ridiculous." And now all of a sudden she's like, "Oh man, he was telling the truth." Hmm. How about that? So. Elaine, I like the moment where Elaine and Aguin have their, I'll show you my ball of flame <laughs> if you show me your ball of flame. <laughs> it's just so cute. Um, Elaine's then, little ball of flame. Again. Pew. Pew, pew, pew. It can be like so the Grom account, except <laughs> it'll always just be a bunch of little pew, pew, pew. pew. And um, lowercase, always lowercase. So we don't get an idea that it might actually be powerful in any way. Not until later, anyway. Elaine tells the queen that she has, or two young women in the tower who both know Rand as well. And she's not really crazy about one, Elsa Grinwell, but she does really like the other and she wants a queen to meet her. So let's go do that. And of course, along the way, Loghain... The false dragon, who has now been gentled, lumbers in front of them, and Aguin's kind of taken aback. Elaine explains who he is. They have a momentary discussion about what it means for him to be gentled, why this has to happen, because Aguin is like, is this the only way? Because, of course, she also knows Rand can channel, and this is potentially his future standing right in front of her. So this is understandably an upsetting moment for her that she can't really share with anyone. But an accepted comes along and pulls Logan out towards the garden, and Elaine and Aguin head along, and they meet Min. And this is a reintroduction for Aguin. They've already met in Barillon. Min has been brought to the tower because of what she can do. They discuss the fact that she has visions. Of course, there are a few visions that she's shared with Elaine. And Elaine is like, Min tells me I have to share my husband with two other women, but I would never do that. I like that she sees a white flame 
for a queen. They used that in the TV series when Min is having a foretelling for her, and I mm-hmm. appreciate when like connections, like direct connections to the book, come in like that. As the three gals are talking, it inevitably happens that Min's like, "How's Rand?" and Green is like, "I hate him." <laughs> Poor thing. I think Egwene is like, mm. how did he meet all of these people? He was gone for like right. a couple weeks. Like, right. With- how did this happen? And well, it's just, it speaks to her like, you know, she's the one who wanted to go off and have an adventure, but he was mm-hmm. the one that did all the interesting stuff. Like, yeah. She got kidnapped and he was like making friends with the daughter heir and of Andor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the intriguing older but not older woman who has visions and feels kind right. of worldly like and we know that like Rand didn't have a walk in the park he was being chased mm-hmm. by shadow spawn and dark friends but in Egwene's eyes she probably doesn't even really believe that so she's just like probably even more like well burn him you know right <laughs> he was just out flirting with girls the whole time having a good time yeah yeah and I mean there is always that moment after a breakup where jealousy is like that first reaction. So even well, though they haven't, they haven't had a okay, yeah, I guess it. Oh, the, you know what? Though the no, you're of, right. At the end of is that Eye of the World or the beginning? It's in the Great Hunt where he goes to the women's quarters. They both cry. They have a teary goodbye. So they kind of like broke up, sort of. But he's like, I'll be your warder. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So there's still like this tenuous connection mm-hmm. like that for the two of them in place. And so now all of these young women being like all of these two, these two women. But still, like you said, what are the chances that while mm-hmm. he was out doing his adventuring, adventuring, being chased. So <laughs> the three young women are interrupted by two young men walking towards them, and Egwene becomes starry-eyed, distracted by the most beautiful man she's ever seen. Oh, my God. It's Galad. Dear Galad. Who are are they going to get to play this man? It's like Lanfear. He's the most beautiful man. I just love it. So, turns out, this is Galad and Gawain. I think I said his name right. Galad is the half-brother of Elaine, and Elaine and Gowan are brother and sister, as Egwene finds out after she's done being totally distracted by how beautiful Galad is. And then he immediately is like, may I take you for a walk sometime? Or if the Aes Sedai permit, a picnic outside. And I'm like, man, coming on strong for meeting like 10 seconds ago. But okay, I, all right. She's totally down with it. All thoughts of Rand are now totally gone. Galad has to walk away. I don't remember why. And Gowan's like, hey, how's Rand? <laughs> and a queen's like, how does everybody know him? And Gowan is like, I could almost swear he's Taviran, considering all the people that I've met who seem to have been touched by his life. It's like what you said before, like... All of these people along Rand's journey have been touched by him in some way. And Gowan is like, I wonder if our lives will change because we've been in his path. And I'm like, um, just a little. 
just it's fine perhaps perhaps they're interrupted as Lida approaches them. Gowan decides to take off so that she doesn't lecture him about not wearing a shirt again. And Lida lets him go because he's not who she's there for anyway. She has an exchange with Elaine, which ends up with Elaine being sent to the Mistress of Novices later and explains that she really just wants to talk to men. So... Elaine and Aguin have to run off for their lessons. Min is left to be interrogated by Elida. And at the end of that interrogation, Min is sweaty and uncomfortable. She feels like she's given it her best, but she has no idea if she has like, made Elida think that what she's going through is not something for her to get involved in, if that makes sense. But this is also the moment where Min reveals that She's in love with Rand whether she wants to be or not. And that sucks. That's it. Spoilers. Down for it. Hello, friends. It's time for a new ad. There's so much happening in the Wheel of Time world, and we have opportunities for you to help us continue to create quality Wheel of Time content. If you would like to help, rate us wherever you listen. This helps other people find the podcast. You can also join us on YouTube and subscribe to the channel. Help create the show by joining us on Patreon. We have four different tiers with perks ranging from shoutouts to bonus content to merch not found in our Threadless store. Speaking of the Threadless shop, it's absolutely bursting with beautiful Wheel of Time designs and various items to put them on. Need a Wolf Brother t-shirt? It's there. A first sister pin to send to your bestie? We've got them. How about a white tower dropout sweatshirt? You know Amber made one. The point is, we love the Wheel of Time. You love the Wheel of Time. Go get some merch that shows it. You can find links for Patreon and our Threadless shop in our show notes. One last thing. You guys are the best. Your support means the world to us. Thank you for being the amazing people, humans, sentient creatures that you are and keeping us company on the road to Tarvalin. The Nine Rings. Back we go. So, going back in time, back to chapter 21. Again, I already mentioned this, so I'm just really excited that the politicking is kicking off, and I actually prefer this much more to the Aes Sedai politicking, like Mm -hmm. kings and queens and intrigue and mystery and tom is coming back soon and there's so much that's about to happen and it's again one of these blink and you'll miss the nuance chapters it really is it really 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 is galdrian is introduced and there's mystery and intrigue and assassins and dark friends and i love it Mm mm-hmm so again, like rapid fire setup, like masquerading as exposition. Quick reminder that Galdrian is the king of Kyrian after Laman Damadred, who was Moraine's uncle, the one during the Aiel War. Did some things, didn't end out too great for him. And then Galdrian's biggest political rival is Barthanus Domadred. Mm-hmm. And the battle for the Sun Throne is about to go down. And I'm very excited about it. I'm very excited yeah. to have Tom coming back into the story. Oh, I am too. But I'm also really excited for future battle scenes that are coming. 
like I kind of forget that this is the start of it. This is the beginning of it. This is when we're going to start having more of these big battle maneuvers and people coming together and whatnot. And I know battle isn't glorious or whatever, but the way that this is written is just like, I don't want to glorify violence, I guess. I don't know. It's beautifully written. I, I deeply appreciate it. It's all going to come to a point where all of it is relevant. So it's just, it makes me excited. There's not yeah. too, too much that needs to be really talked about in this one. I don't have anything. Okay. 22 watchers? I think what really actually stands out to me the most from this chapter are the books that Maureen is looking at. Because they have everything having to do with prophecy and yeah. So this is this is what she has. So many subjects, the Trolloc Wars, the Watchers Over the Waves, the Legend of the Return, two treatise treatises treatises. I can speak on the Horn of Valir. Three on Dark Prophecy and Light. Here's Santhra's book on the Forsaken. Nasty that. As nasty as this on Shadar Lagoth. And the prophecies of the dragon in three translations and the original? That's so, a lot of stuff. I believe that she's already thinking about her death because she's passed Lan's bond over without consent. And on top of that, everything that she's digging into kind of like leads me to believe that she's making last-minute preparations. It does feel that way. All this information is probably leading to her hoping that maybe there's a way out of death, that there's mm -hmm. one last clue that she can find to maybe turn the odds in her favor, mm -hmm. or possibly just to help the people around her, like, before she goes. So, like, what yeah. can she do to help Rand in his situation? Mm -hmm. What can she do for the Horn of Valir situation? Mm -hmm. And hope for the best. Yeah, yeah, it does feel that way. It feels like she's preparing herself mentally as well, almost like fortifying herself by finding as much as she can about what she's potentially facing. Up against, yeah. Yeah. Like, do the Forsaken have any Achilles heel? Is there anything that she can possibly find? Yeah. And I mean, like, the fact that she's looking at things that touch on dark prophecy as well as having, like, that those translations of the, the dragon prophecy i feel like she's like you know in the tv series when moraine is like i don't think the dark one has any idea who the dragon is any mm -hmm. more than we do like perhaps with like this this dark prophecy she's trying to find out like what does the dark one say his apostles or whatever write about what their prophecies are and what they might be expecting what's their tell if you will yeah, what's their plan? What should mm -hmm. she expect? Yeah. And I the fact that both of the things on here, the what is it? The legend of the return. Is this the first time that this is brought up or has this been brought up before? I don't recall it, so Okay. I, I mean, it's it might have been, but it's I feel, not ringing any bells. 
I feel like it may, may, may have been part of the section when Varen was talking about the possible return of Archer Hawkwing's armies. Mm -hmm. And I think this is probably what she's reading about here. And I mean, when I look over this, I'm like, Moraine, you have everything you need right here. You have it all. And I feel for her because if I were in her situation, I wouldn't realize that I had everything too. Like she doesn't exactly know what she's looking for, but hindsight's twenty twenty, and I can be like, mm -hmm. everything's right there. So the fact that it's basically just all dropped right there, Jordan created a faux library with manuscripts and books with titles and translations, and I love the detail. I eat it up. Min's the only one that would be able to give her this information, right? I think so. Min makes the most sense. And also, like, just the the pieces of news and whatnot that they've picked up. The fact that she's found the dragon makes reading every version of the prophecy even more necessary. Like, I would do the same thing. I'd want to know everything I possibly could. I would Google it on my phone. The fact that she has this incredibly private place to go to for this research is, like, perfect. Like, I know it's written into the plot and everything, but it's just, what more could she ask for than this treasure trove of historical information and these two women who are like, yes, I'll talk to you about history all day. <laughs> and I like, too, how they're kind of trying to get information out of Moraine. Like, this has to do with something, and she's not telling us. Yeah. And then a Jakar lands, and... Mm -hmm. They know something's going on. One of the things that I picked up on when I was rereading it this morning was Van Deen goes to set her teacup down when she's talking with Moraine and it says that her hands are shaking like a little. And what she's been saying is that she was afraid that Moraine had maybe been there to tell them that a sign has happened that the dragon has been reborn and now is the time. And Moraine like just skirts that shit. They can feel it. Van Dien tells her, you know, I pay attention to every bit of news that comes from these specific areas, and they have it. They have almost all of the pieces that they need right there, and it's just like, this is one of those fantastic build-up moments with juicy, teeny bits of information. How much fun would it be to get this on a TV show? I've been thinking a lot about that. I would just really, really love to see these two sisters, their warders in action, the Drakkar attack. I think my brain, as far as like after talking to production designer, after talking to Andre, I'm imagining this set mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's just like electricity mm -hmm. storm in my head, like how fun would this set be to look at? It would be so pretty. I mean, think about the library we already got and the tea room that we got. Like Exactly. This would be gorgeous. And I want, you know, like, I want to see the home of two brown sisters because mm -hmm. it's the running theme of the brown Aja where they, they always appear not to have their stuff together, like kind of messy, books everywhere, you know, mm -hmm. ink stains. Yeah, on their noses. Yeah, and it's just, oh, I don't know. Maybe this is just like brown Aja love. Right, right. But I'm just really curious if this is something that other people 
think would be as cool to see as I do. <laughs> okay. I just so, really want to. <laughs> I know where you stand yes. on this. <laughs> well, I also had, I also just had a thought as to how it could play almost a crucial role to Moraine after the end of season one. Because again, I've gone back and watched that moment with her and Shamael, and I think I have to stand with like the shielded idea. Yeah. Her reaction is there, but it's not the reaction that we have heard from both men who have been gentled. Logan's gentling is brutal. His reaction to it is just to be like utterly crushed, devastated, deflated. And I know, I know Moraine is a strong woman and she can handle things, but I don't see her having that calm of a reaction. If she can't touch the source because she's been shielded in some weird way by a Shamael, there is hope. So who else would she turn to than these reclusive retired sisters? She can't go to Tarvalin. She can't library. go to Tarvalin. I doubt she wants to go to Kyrian. So she has to like find another source of information and maybe a place for a little healing. Yeah, I feel if she shows up in Kyrian, she'll be a possible threat because the Sun Throne issue. <gasps> Oh my god, yes! She's in line for the throne! So, like, if she shows up back in town, they're gonna think that she's there for the throne, and that would put a spotlight on her that she can't take right now. She And doesn't want. No, like, I don't see her wanting that at all. No, she's been running from the idea of being the Queen of Kyrian since she was, like, 22. Right! <laughs> so, like... I don't see it. It's very possible that's where they go with it. Mm -hmm. I mean, if I were a writer and I didn't know too much about her background. Right. Yeah. I would think, oh, Moraine is Kyrian and it would make sense for her to go there. Yeah. Yeah. But thinking about it, I think that might be the last place that she would want to be mm -hmm. unless she needs. Okay. No, she doesn't need to go there for finances. Like they have banks everywhere. Like, yeah, she doesn't need to go home for that. For Lan and Moraine, money just seems to like fall into their saddlebags all the time. So it's they'll, they'll be fine. Speaking of money falling into saddlebags, I love that here is where we learn, not this chapter, but in the testing chapter coming up, that the women that don't pass the accepted test mm -hmm. or that refuse to take it three times, mm -hmm. you know, three strikes mm -hmm. and you're out. Right. They're left with like a big bag of coin yep. and a goodbye. Like, don't yeah. come back. Thanks. Here's some money to last you for a year. Mm -hmm. And I'm just thinking like, man, like the White Tower, their coffers are deep. <laughs> and their standards are maybe too high. Yeah. Or maybe they just don't have enough vision to see how they could use all of those women. Maybe that's it. I fully believe that Robert Jordan intended the White Tower to be critiqued. Yeah. It has to be. He wrote a whole plot line this entire like giant organization within his books is based off of something that you could call an ivory tower like looking down on the world mm -hmm. like i feel like he wanted us to be thinking about this type of stuff i love 
having fierce women from all different ages, from all different nations, and having mm-hmm. these heroes. But at the mm-hmm. same time, it is also a bit of a failure. And it's they're not there to help and protect. They It's a lot of self-promotion. Yeah. And I'm thinking of also the whole Malkier, like the falling of Malkier and how like that happened and they like made the attempt to go there, but because they didn't actually get there, they were like, Oh, we just decided not to go for mysterious Aes Sedai reasons. Right. Like, why didn't you just admit that you were a failure? We'd be okay with that. They can't take any bad PR no matter what they exactly. do. They would rather just be perceived as not caring. Yeah. What does Moraine say at that teaser the about men who can about Luce Theron and the companions, the The arrogance. The arrogance, yeah. So okay. I'm gonna talk about some arrogance. They found Tirangriol from the Age of Legends. They mm-hmm. don't know how it works mm-hmm. and they decided We'll make this an accepted <laughs> test and make people walk through it. Yeah. Some of them don't come out. They have no idea what this thing does. They have no idea what this Tarangriol was made for. Right. Or they really no how clue. to properly use it. They no. kind of sort of figured out a way to use it. And that's about it. It's like using, oh, I don't know, like a lightsaber as like a coffee cup warmer. You know, they're like, well, it does this thing. Yeah, like, it's incredibly dangerous. It would be like if you went back in time 3,000 years and showed someone a toaster oven. Right. Like, what would they be doing with it? Like, they know it gets hot. So, like, do we put metal in it? (laughs) Like, Oh, my God. Yeah, like, does this warm up our knives? How about these <laughs> like, veggies? Right? Well, yeah, exactly. It, they they don't know what it's for. They've tried mm-hmm. to test it, and they've only got to a certain point where they know that if you channel in it, things go wrong. Mm-hmm. What was... There were some other things, too. I think if you're... Warded. Warded, yeah. If you if were warded going in, the women that went in warded came out, burned out. Exactly. So, like, they really don't have any clue what this thing is, but they're like, mm-hmm. we're going to use this for our testing. And, and on just young, like, what? Yeah. Overwhelmingly young women. <laughs> and the one weapon you have taught them how to use, even if it's not supposed to ever be used as, like, a weapon unless you need to for various reasons, they're like, go in there, and you can't channel, and good luck. That's about it. Their novice training is supposed to have gotten them ready for this. What the hell is involved in the novice training Right, that not... would prepare them for this? It they just can't doesn't... channel in there. You can't <sighs> channel. You just got to figure it out. Like, Naive was getting chased down by one of the Forsaken. What else was she going to do? Doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any right? sense. I have to wonder what was the purpose of this Tarangriol. Like, what was it like made original? for originally? Mm-hmm. Was it for entertainment? Like, is this, like, some weird 
virtual reality that it got stuck on the wrong setting for fear (laughs) yeah right like some of the other ones are like dreamy lo-fi vibes (laughs) yeah and this one's like freddy krueger vibes it's like they went in wanting you know like you can pick the sound of music or poltergeist and they're stuck with poltergeist every single time it's set to like mini intervals that's why the arch comes back. <laughs> it's like it's, just just, like it's actually trailer minutes. mode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have to wonder if it was perhaps oh. something for training, like hardening, mm-hmm. like warriors maybe. Because if you can't channel in there, we do know in the Age of Legends, like sword fighting was a sport. So like, do they just put people in there like a... I don't know, like, I'm thinking of, like, Coliseum-style, like, warriors. Right. And, like, it just be, like, you know, their version of pay-per-view, like. Do you think they would have it, have had it set up with, like, standing flows so it would always work? Yeah. Because back then, they, they didn't really need, like, electricity. Everything was kind of done with the one power. Mm-hmm. So, however it was wired, like, it just worked okay, mm-hmm. like, how it was supposed to. Do the Aes Sedai that watch what's going on, can they actually see what's going on? Or do they have to tell them when they come out? Because I feel as though for the accepted one, they cannot. Okay. But for, but for the, the Aes Sedai shawl raising test. They can. Yeah. In fact, I think they like help create right. the scenarios. Is mm-hmm. that right? Yeah. Yeah. So this one is like a much more just, private one. Yeah, like they just lost the HDMI cable and they can't see it. <laughs> I love these ideas. It's, I mean, it does. That kind of makes sense to me. I'm down for that. Well, I mean, why else would you put someone in with like the most scary stuff ever? Or yeah. if it was just like some form of torture i guess but like how how entertaining would it just be like some guy going in and being like oh my whole family's dead that's sad or could they create like the well that's what i was just kind of thinking because the last one she goes through and i mean even the second one it's not fighting it's more of like emotional trauma exactly and either one had for any reason she decided to stay and let's say that those worlds are real and she's in Emmons Field kicking that wisdom's ass from here to next Tuesday cleaning up <laughs> Emmons Field fixing mm-hmm. the tavern you know like she's doing her thing. 2022 <laughs> <laughs> she would have found purpose she would have found contentment in that life had she chosen to stay and then but it would have been hard it would have sucked like it was definitely a deep fear but it was something that i feel she could have handled and then the last one she's like robbing in a field of butterflies and she has jewels in her hair and she's a queen and she's married to land and they have children and their daughter's named after her mother oh my god it's mm-hmm. perfect It is absolutely perfect. It is her heart's desire. So maybe, maybe you get to choose. Maybe it's like nightmare, thriller, overcoming (laughs) adversity, and 
dream scenario? I have to think because Egwene's going through is kind of similar, but Mm -hmm. not. I think I remember Rand wants her to kill him because he can channel. Mm -hmm. The other one is like, oh, that's that's baby Joya moment as well, I believe, Mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. So does that mean we're not going to get Egwene going through the arches since we've already gotten that moment? In the TV series? Yeah. Did they make her an accepted already? Well, I just mean in the future. Like, they're not going to do the baby Joya moment again since they already have done it for Rand. They did it for Rand. They didn't do it for Egwene. It might be kind of interesting. Yeah, but do you think an audience? <laughs> no, I mean, I guess. Thing. Joy I, is yes, back. <laughs> and she looks totally different. <laughs> She's three years old now. I don't know. Maybe we won't see the testing. They could always just change it. They've changed a lot about the way certain things are done. Like the nightmare sequences are different. They're still effective in their own way. I feel like Could it might be an off. About. I feel like it might be an off-screen thing. Yeah, I mean that's possible mm-hmm. too. I find the testing unsettling. It's very bizarre, and I just can't let go of the possibility of what are these things from the mm-hmm. Age of Legends. Like we know that. The portal stones are supposedly made so that they can study different worlds. Mm-hmm. Is it possible that these Terangriel are the same thing? Like people go in to like study mm. a parallel world, another type of world? A various existence. Yeah. Is this like the world of dreams? Is this similar to Teleron Riode where... You could live there. Like, you can live in Teleron Riode. Like, mm-hmm. the heroes of the horn are post up, chilling, doing their thing. <laughs> like, is this just like another realm that people like go to and in between? Because some of them don't come back. So, mm-hmm. maybe we should do like a, yeah, maybe we should do an episode that's not Mortal Kombat. However, um, <laughs> like those particular tests, because we have that. Then we have oh my god the test me. for the shawl the test for the shawl Ruidian like there's the yeah the circle and arches in Ruidian and Rand has that glass column that he goes through mm-hmm. so all four of those are Trangriel of some kind that like everyone has kind of an idea of what they're doing with it but. Not really. And it's interesting that when, like, Nynaeve, or not Nynaeve, Maureen and Avienda, when they run off to the the rings in Ruidian, no one has to be there to channel for them. No. I wonder what makes that different. Maybe that one has a standing flow on it well, and the one in the tower doesn't. Yeah. That's what I'm wondering as well, because that one seems far less dangerous also. Like, they're just learning things mm-hmm. that happened. So it's like communicating with your ancestors kind of like in a well, very that's... Christmas in a very Christmas carol way like watching and you know <laughs> yeah I guess the reason or I'm I'm thinking more of like the the arches in Ridian are you talking about the glass columns oh, that Rand yeah. goes through yeah 
There's no, I mean, there's no channeling required for that one either. They just step into it and off they go. It is the reoccurring theme of facing your fears is one I feel is actually really, in my opinion, it's not a bad one to embrace. I can understand in some ways why this is the test for people who are expected to become leaders. Yeah, leaf, the leaf cast guys, I think this is correct, have a theory that it's actually something to help people get over. Mm. Anything where you're like turning inward on yourself mm-hmm. and trying to overcome how like this mm-hmm. could be something to help like as a treatment for mm-hmm. that. But I think it's really interesting, like all of the different ideas out there for mm-hmm. what are these for. And of course, there doesn't have to be an answer. Like, I don't even think Robert Jordan has an answer. It's just really fun to think about. <laughs> I agree. I like things like this because they do have that open ended possibility to it. Where are we? The testing, chapter 23. Okay, cool. Yeah. Medical diagnosis, possible. Warrior ritual, possible. I don't know. Ritual yeah. does sound like kind of like what it's being used for now. So very. Should we, should we finish up chapter 24 very quickly? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do think it's interesting that both Gallad and Rand have feelings for Gween and their half-brothers. And I was like, how weird is that? Good thing that never... <laughs> happened Uh, right i don't know if i would like it or or not if the tv show like addresses it Mm -hmm. like i want them to be like oh like we're brothers but at the same time like is it better that they just kind of like leave things unsaid i don't know i don't know i always liked the idea of rand finding out that he has a brother maybe he would be nicer to them or to him, yeah. then got what <laughs> Yeah. So that was one of the. I I know it's silly, but it just was like, huh. oh, I did want to say this moment in the tower when Elida comes striding up to them. I feel as though it would potentially be a very good introduction for her. Like you wouldn't even have to change a whole lot about the way that this is written to get people caught up on who she is and who Elaine is and how the Aes Sedai novice relationship works versus the daughter heir of Camelon Aes Sedai advisor relationship. Like there are so many things that could really quickly be explained. I really love, yeah, like her saying to Elida, like, you made the gardens bloom for me in winter as a child. And Elida's right. like, all right, like, Go we're not. Sherium. Yeah, we're not <laughs> in the castle anymore. Shut your nope. mouth. Go to your quarters. Leave me alone. You are nothing. And Elaine is just like, what? Like, yeah. What? Like, yeah. she can't believe it. And I can just see in my head the actress for Elaine, like, just confusion, betrayal, sadness, anger. Like, I'm very excited for that. And as much as, like, I've loved all of these chapters, I'm a 
teensy bit worried about these white tower mm. chapters, how they're going to play out on the TV show. Mm-hmm. Because I think there's a real possibility that they give us something that's full of like young women and empowerment and friendship. Mm-hmm. And that would be really, really great. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like it just depends on what tone they take it with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's just, you know, up to mm-hmm. the producers, the directors, how they want to do it. And mm-hmm. I'm very hopeful for, like I said, like strong female bonds, empowerment. You could even have men show up there at this time. Like all of these characters can be together, easily explained. I love series like Anne with an E. Like I don't know oh, if you've watched that. It's about a young of girl. I like did. I'm an adult. I'm not gonna say that like I don't enjoy stories about young people because that's mm-hmm. a lie. I really do. Mm-hmm. I think it just depends on the tone, really. Mm-hmm. Where mm-hmm. like if we get some of these like very hard but like interesting, well written moments, like yeah. I just wanna be able to celebrate that. Mm-hmm. Me too. I loved that series. I thought it was just darling. So good. So yeah. good. Now I might need to go rewatch it again. I don't think I have enough tissues for that show. <laughs> I was that way reading the books too. Like when I was so much younger, I was like, and tissues, please. Yeah, I really, I think that's really all I have for, for these particular, like that. I can't even talk. Yeah, that's, I think yeah, well, yeah, let's, let's we're wrapping <laughs> it up, ladies and gentlemen. Finished. We will Finished. be back oh. next week with a 101. I'm Kyrian. I'm Kyrian. We have a guest. Yes. Yes. Um so, Zach from Two and a Mike will be with us next week and we're really excited. We are. So be prepared to talk a little Dust Day Mar mm-hmm. and Tree Chopping. Tree chopping, lumberjacking, blood snow, <laughs> assassins, <laughs> and etc. So much to talk about with Kyrian. I'm excited. I'm excited. And we'll wrap right, it up there. Sounds great. Thanks so much for joining us. We will continue to release new episodes every Wednesday. We would love if you would subscribe to the podcast, leave us reviews, and share us with your friends in the Wheel of Time community. Let us know what you thought of our content. Correct us. Send us things we may have missed. You can find links to our email and social media accounts in the show notes. And if you have the Anchor app, leave a voice message for us to play in upcoming episodes. We also have a website where you can find links to our Discord channel, social media platforms, and merch shop. So until next week. Thanks for joining us on the road to Tarvalin.